There may be teardrops to shed So while there's moonlight and music And love and romance Let's face the music and dance Dance Let's face the music and dance Hello, I'm Ryan Briegel And you're listening to Let's Face the Music a podcast exploring the stories behind the standards of the great American songbook. There may be teardrops to shed So while there's moonlight and music and love and romance Let's face the music and dance Are you ready? Let's face the music. Thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen. And now I'd like to sing a tune. It was written especially for me. It's titled Strange Fruit. I don't know if you like it. Today's song is Strange Fruit, written by Lewis Allen, whose real name was Abel Mirapol, and performed by Billie Holiday. Bear strange fruit, blood on the leaves, and blood at the root. Black bodies swinging in the southern breeze. Strange. Fruit hanging from the This is Billie Holiday performing the anti-lynching anthem Strange Fruit in Los Angeles in 1945. She introduces it as a tune written especially for her, and while that is completely untrue, she sings the song with such personal conviction one could imagine that it was created for her voice. But who did write Strange Fruit, and who did they write it for? How did it become the song that Billie Holiday said made her sick to sing, yet she chose it as the final song for so many of her live performances? And most bizarrely, how is Strange Fruit connected with a recent presidential inauguration? An American couple, a husband and wife, were killed by the U.S. government on June 19, 1953. Their names were Julius and Ethel Rosenberg. Four times today, Adams Prize, Julius and Ethel Rosenberg appealed their sentence of death, and four times they were unsuccessful. They will be executed tonight, probably within the next half hour, the first husband and wife to die in the electric chair. The Rosenbergs were accused and convicted of recruiting spies for Russia and stealing secrets connected to the American atomic bomb. It would later come to light that Ethel Rosenberg was innocent of the charges, and Julius Rosenberg, while guilty of spying, had not passed on any information of much value, and it brought into question the choice to have him executed for it. The Rosenbergs left behind two young sons, Michael and Robert, suddenly orphans. A friend of the couple, a schoolteacher named Abel Mirapol, and his wife Anne Mirapol, 
agreed to allow the two boys to live with them. Adoption soon followed, and the children officially became Michael and Robert Mirapol. This was quite a brave step Abel and Anne Mirapol were taking, as Robert explained when he spoke with the BBC in 2013. When my birth parents, Ethel and Julius Rosenberg, were arrested in 1950, when I was three and my brother was seven, the Mirapols offered to adopt us. This was an act of, of, of great courage at this point, to take in the children of people who the government claimed and killed because they were communist spies who stole the secret of the atomic bomb at the height of the Cold War. So you can't imagine people who were more reviled. But Abel Mirapol, a white Jewish New York school teacher, had done something even gutsier. He published a poem a poem brazenly describing the horrors of lynching. A common practice in the late 1800s and well into the mid-20th century, lynching is the killing of an individual, mostly black men and women, by a group of people without any judicial or legal process. Lynch mobs often saw the criminal justice system at the local level as incompetent, so they would take matters into their own hands. And although the definition does not specify the manner of death, lynching was most commonly carried out by hanging. But often, the barbarity did not end there. Dr. C.T. Vivian, a respected civil rights leader who actually helped organize the Nashville sit-ins in 1960, elaborates here. You hung somebody. You had no real evidence that they had done anything. But you hung them. You even brought a crowd in to enjoy this event. Then you would not only hang them by the neck, but you wanted to rip open their bodies and did so. You burned them to death, put a fire under them. Often you skinned their very faces. And this was met with applause. The crowd loved it. They were anxious to do it, all right? Uh, men teaching their sons that this is what you do to them. I don't know any kind of savagery uh, that is worse than this. And if you were not part of the group that participated in these acts, there were still ways to see what had been carried out. Robert Mirapol explains. I mean, lynching was considered sport in some ways. There were postcards taken of crowds of people picnicking under hanging bodies. And they were sent around. And, and there were also photographs taken of this, showing people who were proud of what they'd accomplished. He saw one of these photographs of two people being lynched, and he was horrified, and that inspired him. He saw these bodies hanging and this image of, of, of fruit, strange fruit, hanging from the poplar trees. The photograph that Abel Mirapol saw and was so disgusted by was a photograph of two black men, Thomas Shipp and Abram Smith, hanging dead from the limbs of a tree. Thomas and Abram had been arrested on August 6, 1930, in Marion, Indiana. But many in the town were not satisfied with them simply sitting in jail. They lacked the patience to wait for a proper trial. So a large mob broke into the jail the following night and pulled the men from their cells. They beat the two men, they tore their clothes to rags, and dragged them to a tree in the courthouse square. The town photographer took the photo that evening, and it clearly shows that beneath the hanging bodies of Thomas Shipp and Abram Smith is a crowd of white men and women, some smiling, some looking surprised at being photographed, 
and one man staring right into the camera and pointing up at the two bodies. It's not hard to imagine Abel Mirapol being so disturbed that he felt he had to write about this horrible image that had been circulating for years. He titled the poem Bitter Fruit and submitted it for publication in the 1937 issue of a union newspaper called The New York Teacher. Of course, the bitter fruit in this poem was symbolic, comparing the hanging bodies of lynching victims to fruit hanging from a tree. He wastes no time in setting the scene in the opening lines, read here by Kashana Armstrong, a Nashville songwriter and musician. Southern trees bear a strange fruit, blood on the leaves and blood at the root. Black bodies swinging in the southern breeze, strange fruit hanging from the poplar trees. Abel Mirapol would go on to write many songs under a pen name, Lewis Allen. Songs sung by a number of vocalists, such as Peggy Lee, for this song, Apples, Peaches, and Cherries. And as he drove along, he cried across the village green, crying apples, peaches, and cherries. But he proudly and bravely published Bitter Fruit under his own name, Abel Mirapol. The poet soon put the words to music, and he changed the title from Bitter Fruit to Strange Fruit, perhaps to further emphasize the subject matter. Stylistically, Strange Fruit is often viewed as a dirge, sad and mournful, but Robert Mirapol disagrees. He sees it as something much more direct. What is amazing about Strange Fruit is that it is an attack. It is a rather nasty attack. And Abel Mirapol, when asked about why he wrote Strange Fruit, said, because I hate lynching and I hate the people who perpetrate lynching. This musical attack on lynching caught on and by 1938 could be heard at many events, at teachers' union rallies, at anti-fascism fundraisers, and most notably at Madison Square Garden, where it was performed by vocalist Laura Duncan. As the story goes, in the audience for that performance was a man named Robert Gordon, Robert Gordon was in charge of directing the headlining show at a new nightclub in New York City, and performing in that show was a 24-year-old singer named Billie Holiday. The club was called Café Society, a name meant to mock the snobby celebrity worship and racist elitism of many other New York City spots. Café Society was known as, quote, the wrong place for the right people, and that's right spelled with a capital R. Jazz fan and former shoe salesman Barney Josephson opened Café Society on December 30, 1938, with the hopes of attracting a diverse mix of people. In fact, it was one of the few fully integrated nightclubs in New York City. Black patrons were highly encouraged. Robert Gordon thought this song, describing the horrors of lynching, would be perfect for Billie Holiday's Cafe Society act. (music) 
When you hear Billie Holiday sing, the first thing that comes through is just how cool and fresh her voice sounds. Even her nickname, Lady Day, just sounds so easygoing. When you're smiling, when you're smiling, the whole world smiles with you. When you're laughing, when you're laughing, the sun comes shining through. But when you're crying, but before long, the pain in her voice starts to show itself. And that's surely how Robert Gordon knew that his idea for her to sing Strange Fruit would work. She was the perfect voice, and Cafe Society was the perfect place. Gordon brought Mirapol to the club so that Barney Josephson and Billie Holiday could hear Strange Fruit. But Holiday didn't embrace the song immediately. Farrah Jasmine Griffin is a college professor and author who wrote the book If You Can't Be Free, Be a Mystery in Search of Billie Holiday. She spoke to California Newsreel in 2002 about Strange Fruit and Holiday's first reactions. I think she was reluctant to sing it because it brought up the kinds of harsh images that she didn't want to necessarily put out there. It was very painful and very difficult. But she was absolutely convinced of the importance of recording the song. And she always said that from the very beginning. Holiday would often tell a story about her father, Clarence Holiday, that he died of pneumonia at age 39 after treatment was severely delayed at a whites-only hospital in Texas. She seemed to link in her mind this display of death by cruelty to the stories of black men and women being hanged by angry mobs that she had heard since childhood. Farrah Jasmine Griffin continues. There's no evidence that Billie Holiday actually saw a lynching, but she would have grown up with a lore of lynching. Uh, it was utterly impossible for her as a black woman, particularly a black woman living in Harlem at that time, not to know about lynching. So she didn't really have to witness it firsthand to be very sensitive to that crime, that horrendous crime. Author Dorian Linsky wrote about Holiday, quote, All that she knew and felt about being black in America, she poured into the song. There are reports that Holiday tried out the song at a low-key party in Harlem, and as she sang the last long note, the audience was stunned into silence and then broke out into a roar of applause. She realized this reaction to Strange Fruit was like nothing she had witnessed before. She began singing it nearly every night at Cafe Society. Legendary activist Angela Davis spoke about the importance of Strange Fruit to Billie Holiday in 2019. When Billie Holiday was offered this poem, it seems as if she discovered her raison d'être. She found her reason for being. And many of you probably know that she included that uh, in her repertoire almost every time she performed. Uh, and she, she wrote in her autobiography that uh, the only time she would not perform it uh, was when she felt that the audience would be unable to grasp the message. Barney Josephson agreed that Holiday could do wonders with this material and was thrilled it was being sung at his club. He even came up with four rules to follow when Strange Fruit was performed. Rule number one, Billie Holiday would close all her nightly sets with the song. Rule number two, 
Right before she started singing, all waiters would stop serving patrons. Rule number three, the room would be in complete darkness except for one bright spotlight on Billie Holiday's face. And rule number four, after she sang Strange Fruit, that was it. No encores. He instructed her to simply walk off the stage. When Holiday finally left Cafe Society to sing at other clubs, she created a rule of her own. Whenever a club ordered her not to sing Strange Fruit, she reminded the promoter of the clause in her contract that guaranteed her the option to perform it. So no, not everyone was so enraptured by the song. After all, there were those nightclub goers who just wanted to be entertained. How dare they be asked to question what goes on in the world, outside of their own lives. There were many reports of patrons walking out when the song began. And this was in New York City. How would it be received in other parts of the country? It's no surprise that Billie Holiday's record label, Columbia, wasn't thrilled about releasing an official recording of the song. In fact, they told her they wouldn't. Angela Davis continues. Columbia refused to record Strange Fruit. They said, they won't buy it in the South. We'll be boycotted. It's too inflammatory. But Lady Day persisted, and uh, Milt Gabler released it on, on his Commodore label. Milt Gabler ran a record store on 52nd Street and had just started a small label called Commodore Records. Holiday was a regular customer at the store, and she convinced him to release a recording of Strange Fruit, since Columbia would not. In the span of her music career, Billie Holiday recorded Strange Fruit twice, once in 1939 and then again in 1956, only three years before her death. The version for Commodore Records was recorded on April 20th, 1939, with her Cafe Society backing band. It begins with a muted trumpet solo from Frankie Newton. and then a rather lengthy portion of ghostly piano played by Sonny White. The piano opening is so unusually long that he got his own credit on the record center label, Piano Interlude by Sonny White. And finally, after more than a full minute, Billie Holiday begins to sing. Southern trees bear a strange fruit, blood on the leaves, and blood at the root, black bodies swinging in the southern Throughout the song, the tempo is slow, but it's steady. Here is a fruit for the crows to pluck, for the rain together. She is especially emotive on two words in the final verse. The word drop, which she takes up and then back down. For the 
the word crop, which she holds out while the band ends on an eerie, dissonant chord. Crop. Seventeen years later, on June 7, 1956, she re-recorded Strange Fruit for a greatest hits type release called Lady Sings the Blues. This version also has a trumpet opening, this time by Charlie Shavers, but no longer muted, this trumpet is blaring boldly announcing its arrival. Holiday's vocals start much sooner in this version, only 20 seconds in. Southern trees bear strange fruit blood on leaves and blood at the root Black bodies swinging In the southern breeze Strange fruit hanging From the poplar trees There's not a huge difference in her vocal quality, even 17 years later. But this time the tempo is not steady. It speeds up and slows down, all controlled by Billie Holiday's voice. Pastoral scene of the gallant south The bulging eyes and the twisted mouth Scent of magnolia, sweet and fresh. Then the sudden smell of burning flesh. Here is a fruit for the crows to pluck for the rain together for the wind to suck for the sun to rot for the tree to drop. This performance is really only her vocals, piano by Wynton Kelly, and the bold trumpet, until the very end when a guitar line by Kenny Burrell highlights the sinister atmosphere. And then suddenly, one loud drum hit and the song is over. Most notably, in both the 1939 and 1956 versions, the lyrics remain exactly as Abel Mirapol wrote them in the original poem from 1937. His second verse is especially interesting, because the first and third lines are quite innocent, even picturesque, but he follows each of these with a very harsh reveal, 
Read for us again by Kashana Armstrong. Pastoral scene of the gallant South, the bulging eyes and the twisted mouth. Scent of magnolia, sweet and fresh. Then, the sudden smell of burning flesh. And then Mirapol doubles down on the fruit analogy for the final verse. Here is a fruit for the crows to pluck, for the rain to gather, for the wind to suck, for the sun to rot, for the tree to drop. Here is a strange and bitter crop. The attention that Strange Fruit received when it was first released prompted activists to send the lyrics to members of Congress in hopes of one day passing an anti-lynching bill. Nearly 80 years later, in 2018, the Senate finally passed anti-lynching legislation, but the House of Representatives took no action and the bill floundered. In February of 2020, the House passed a revised bill, but this time the Senate was the holdup. On June 4, 2020, California Senator and Vice Presidential Candidate Kamala Harris spoke on the Senate floor, urging her fellow senators to finally get an anti-lynching bill passed. So it is remarkable and it is painful to be standing here right now, especially when people of all races are marching in the streets of America outraged by the hate and the violence and the murder that has been fueled by racism during the span of this country's life. And the fact is that the country is raw because America has never fully addressed the historic and systemic racism that has existed in our country. Our bill is an opportunity to right a wrong and an opportunity for a reckoning in federal law. And we cannot pretend that lynchings are a thing of the past. Ahmed Arbery was a victim of a modern-day lynching. He was murdered on February 23, 2020, just three months ago. She brings up the name Ahmed Arbery, who, if you don't recall, was the black man who, while jogging on the morning of February 23rd, was chased in a truck by three men and shot to death. The men claimed he was a robbery suspect. Kamala Harris's point that day was that while lynchings are often seen as something that used to occur in less refined times, that is not the case. Lynching, the murder of a person by a group of people without any judicial process, can come in many forms. Strange fruit pops up in the most unusual places, like when a black British vocalist named Rebecca Ferguson was invited to perform for the inauguration of our 45th president, Donald Trump. Ferguson was best known for coming in second place on the UK singing competition show X Factor in 2010, where she performed the civil rights anthem A Change Is Gonna Come by Sam Cooke, and it seemed like she might accept this inauguration invitation on one condition. Here's the news program Democracy Now! The British singer Rebecca Ferguson has said she'd be willing to accept an invitation to perform at Donald Trump's inauguration, but only if she's allowed to sing the song Strange Fruit, saying, quote, if you allow me to sing Strange Fruit, a song that has huge historical importance, a song that was blacklisted in the U.S. for being too controversial, a song that speaks to all the disregarded and downtrodden black people in the United States, a song that's a reminder of how love is the only thing that will conquer all the hatred in this world, then I will graciously accept your your invitation and see you in Washington. But as you may have guessed, she was not allowed to sing Strange Fruit, and so she did not accept the invitation. Rebecca Ferguson said, quote, I wasn't comfortable with the song choice made on my behalf. 
and while there is no indication of what song had been requested, we can be sure it was not an anti-lynching anthem highlighting widespread racism in the United States. This is British journalist Helen Brown. I mean, just to tell the story, she did get a a message from from the Trump camp saying, please, Mm. will you sing at the inauguration? And I think probably there was a sense of she was the 120th person they'd asked in a very short amount of time because no one wanted to do it. Mm. And she didn't want to do it. But there's a way either around not doing it, offer to sing a song that they couldn't possibly countenance having at the inauguration, Mm. or turn it into a political statement. Mm. And good on her. As you can imagine, Ferguson was asked again and again about the invitation and the choice she made, but she never seemed to regret her decision. She spoke on the UK TV show Loose Women the summer after the inauguration. Now, one thing I really, really (laughs) want to ask you about, um, Donald Trump. Yes. He asked you to sing at his inauguration. He did, yeah. And you said... I said no. I said no. At the time, it would have been a very easy thing for me to do, as in choose status, choose a platform that would, you know, put me around the world. But I just... My dignity wouldn't allow me. Why do you think he asked you, Rebecca? I don't know. I think there were certain political reasons I won't go into. Uh, I'm not going to say a lot until he's out of his position. Oh. Soon, I hope. Um, <laughs> but I... I just think I'm glad I stuck to my guns and I stayed true to myself. I have this motto, I've got to be able to look myself in the mirror and feel, like, proud of myself. Yeah. After a lifetime of heavy drinking and heroin use, Billie Holiday died on July 17, 1959, of heart failure caused by cirrhosis of the liver. She was 44 years old. But by that point, her pained yet powerful performance of Strange Fruit had become part of American protest culture. Once again, Angela Davis. I don't know whether she could have foreseen the catalytic role that her song would play in rejuvenating a tradition of protest and resistance in African-American and American traditions of popular music and culture. But I think that Strange Fruit is perhaps the most influential and most profound example and a continuing site of the intersection of of, of music and radical social consciousness. Let's Face the Music is brought to you by We Own This Town. Our theme music is performed by Ella Fitzgerald and Nelson Riddle, and written by Irving Berlin. A special thank you to Kashana Armstrong for reading the lyrics of Strange Fruit for us. Her new album, Listen, is available now. You can find out more about Let's Face the Music at letsfacethemusic.show. Thank you for listening. Thank you.